Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. Hear the word of the Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> and as you're seated, I'd love to just pray for our time together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in this time asking that you would grant us the, the desire to desire you, the, the, the ability to hear from you. And so, Lord, I know that there are many barriers and obstacles and partitions that stand in our way of, of knowing you, of seeing you, of believing in you and delighting in you. Lord, I ask that through the power of your Spirit, you would remove these barriers that we might hear you. Lord, as we feast upon your word, may you nourish us and strengthen us. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> there, are, um, there are many stunning beachfront properties on Lake Michigan that would give almost any Airbnb in Florida kind of a run for their money, which, which sounds strange. I mean, th so this is actually in Michigan. Like you, you may not think of Lake Michigan as like a, a destination place for a vacation, but I think all of us would, would love to spend a week in the summer inhabiting one of these homes um, on Lake Michigan. They're beautiful places. But uh, if you've been following the news, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, Ben Lohr, who's our new pastoral resident, uh, he's from Michigan, he shared this with me. There are many of these homes that are actually falling into the lake because of very shaky foundations that they've been built upon. And so it's just, I mean, it's, it's totally crazy. I mean, like these, these homes that have been in families for generations, I mean, memories have been forged in these places, and yet many of them are literally hanging in the balance and even teetering on the brink of destruction um, right now. And, and so in some cases, there, there are some people who have the, the luxury and the, the resource to do, to do this, but they're trying to relocate their homes. So they're actually you know, like removing them and then having them rebuilt, essentially, upon another place um, on Lake Michigan where the, the foundation's more secure. But in many cases, these folks can't afford this very expensive uh, moving project, and so they are left to have to demolish their home at risk of being fined or sued because of the, lake falling, or the house falling into the lake. And, and so, the, I mean, it's a crazy story. You can check it out. But like some of us may feel totally off, like, gosh, this is terrible to see family homes and, and memories thrown into the lake. Some of you may kind of be critical, like, well, it serves them right to be building their homes on such a, a shaky foundation. And some of us are like, I have a hard time just having pity at all for anybody who owns beachfront property, okay? It's like, yeah, first world problems. But, but regardless, we, we all know the supreme importance of, of a foundation of a home. I mean, you, you don't have to be in construction science or have to ever purchased a home to know that if the foundation of the home is weak, the house is weak. It doesn't matter if the home is filled with solid gold toilets and there's a hot tub in every room. If the foundation is weak, the house is weak. And it's this very idea that Jesus is kind of driving home for us in this micro parable at the end of his Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6. 
And, and one of the things that I wanted to do, we've been kind of rediscovering who Jesus is throughout the Gospel of Luke. And, and what we're trying to do, so last week, uh, Pastor Tom was with us, and he was uh, showing us in Luke chapter 7 what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, what faith in Jesus looks like. We're stepping back to look at the Sermon on the Plain and understanding what does it mean for us as individuals and collective community to be a people who are centered upon and built upon Jesus. And what I want to suggest is Jesus is kind of unpacking this micro parable for us. I want to suggest this idea for us is that fitting Jesus into your life keeps Jesus out of your life. Fitting Jesus into our lives keeps Jesus out of our lives. He cannot simply be one aspect, one facet, a hobby, or, or an appliance that we add to our homes. He must be the very foundation upon which the entirety of our lives are built. And, and I want to kind of set some context here for us as we kind of jump in. So, so this sermon that Jesus is wrapping up here in Luke 6 is referred to as the Sermon from the Plain. Uh, it's, it's similar content from his more famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, recorded us, uh, for us in Matthew's Gospel. And both sermons end with this very similar parable of the foundations, homes built upon different foundations. And this isn't just a coincidence. This isn't just kind of like Jesus' like way of ending his messages. But there's a, it's almost like an exclamation point, if you will, that Jesus is placing at the end of this very important sermon. And the exclamation point that he's trying to communicate and express through this is that his words, Jesus' words of instruction, of command, and exhortation are not merely words to be studied and admired and revered. They are to be obeyed. That at the end of this, as he has finished this extreme and intense teaching of what life in his kingdom looks like, Jesus is making this exclamation point, his words are to be obeyed. This is what he means as he kind of builds out this metaphor, if you will, upon what it looks like for us to build a foundation upon him. And so look with me again at verses 47 and 48. Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Now, my fear is when we hear those words, just at kind of face value, we just kind of hear blah, 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 believe in Jesus and be good, and you will find the path to the good life. That's, that's kind of what we hear, this, this kind of reductionistic way of reading Jesus' words. As long as you have some kind of association with, a recognition of, or a belief in Jesus, and avoid doing bad things, you, you find yourself calling him Lord. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think he has a more radical message for us in this short little passage. And just like dynamite, how dynamite comes in small packages but has a very explosive impact, these words, while few, pack a punch for us in communicating what it means to actually call Jesus Lord. But before we get into Jesus' words here, what I, what I want us to see is that he is not mincing words. To receive Jesus as Lord is for him to be Lord of all or he will be nothing at all. That's essentially, if I had to summarize what Jesus is saying here, that's it. He must be Lord of all or nothing at all. But before we kind of get into what this even means to, to, for Jesus to be the foundation of our lives, I want us to even back up because I think what Jesus is also doing here is getting his readers, his listeners rather, and us to do some self-examination about asking the question, do we even know what our lives are built upon? 
And that's the first question I want us to consider. Regardless of where you find yourself in kind of the faith spectrum, what you believe about Jesus or the scriptures, each and every one of us has built our life upon some kind of foundation, some kind of of system of belief, some kind of collection of virtues and values and habits and practices that form and shape who we are. Jesus is not just saying, build your life upon me as the foundation. He's trying to help us understand that we have a foundation The question is, are we aware of it, and is it strong enough? And and when I say foundation, I mean, that's a metaphor, but what I mean is that it's, what's the grand narrative, the story that you've built your life upon, that you build your life around? What is the narrative that you've kind of uh, built everything upon? Like, it says, like, this, the, the path to the good life is by pursuing this career, having this relationship, or accumulating this amount of wealth. Like, we all have some narrative or story we've bought into. It, it may be the, the, the kind of the greatest good that you are in pursuit of. It, whatever, whatever this foundation that we build our lives upon, it's the functional God that we worship with our time, with our money, with our work, with our bodies. And we may not even recognize that, that it is our foundation. Really what Jesus is trying to do is awaken us to what our core beliefs are, what we actually believe about life, about God, about existence. And when I say core belief, what what I mean by that is I'm not talking about the beliefs that we say we believe and the beliefs we want others to believe that we believe. I'm talking about the beliefs that we actually believe, the beliefs that are made manifest and evidenced by how we live our lives. You see, we all have public beliefs, the things we want others to believe that we believe. We all have private beliefs, things we want to believe but actually aren't consistent with our lives. But then there's the core beliefs what we actually believe made manifest by how we live. Let me illustrate it this way. Like, I may believe that the generous life is the best life, but that belief is only warranted and verified by how I actually view my relationship with money and resources. It's proven and validated by how generous I actually am with what God has entrusted to me. I may believe, for another example, I may believe that sexual purity according to God's design is a virtue aligned with God's kingdom and for my good, but what I actually believe is made manifest in how I look upon and treat other women and how I think and understand what sex is for. What we believe at our core is not made manifest through our lips, but through how we live our lives. And Jesus is trying to get us to ask the question, do you know what your core beliefs are? Do you know what you have built your life upon? And if we're honest, or maybe I should just, if I'm honest, I don't do this enough. I don't do this practice of self-reflection and self-examination. I don't slow down enough in my life to just ask the question, like, where am I going? Like, what, what, what am I doing with my life? What, what am I pursuing? Like, I'm doing a lot and I'm busy and my schedule's filled, but like, but what's the direction? What's the the purpose and the goal that my habits and beliefs and, and my convictions are taking me towards? Do we ever slow down enough to ask ourselves the question, what am I paying attention to? What am I pursuing? What am I chasing after? What is the end behind my ambition? What is kind of the craving behind my consumption of all kinds? Do we even slow down to do this? 
And I think it's very fitting that we're actually looking at this text as we are in the season of Lent. The season of Lent is a time where followers of Jesus, in preparation for Holy Week, Good Friday and Easter, the church engages in a season that is meant to be focused on a time of self-reflection, of repentance, of confession and prayer. A recognition that we're, sometimes we find ourselves being misaligned with Jesus and his kingdom, and the season of Lent is a way for us to recalibrate our hearts and focus upon Jesus and the life he has called us to. And so, friends, I think the question still stands for us. As we are in the season of Lent, as we hear Jesus' words, do we know what our lives are built upon? Are we aware of the foundation upon which we have built our lives? And whether you're a Christian or not, We have all built our lives upon something, but are we aware of it? And I think one of the ways for us to kind of discern that, to just slow down and even ask the question, like, am I paying attention to what I'm paying attention to? One of the ways for us to discern what our foundation is, is to apply, and this is, full disclaimer, this is totally cheesy, is to apply the ABCs. And what I mean by that is we need to look at our life through the lenses of our accounts, our bodies, and our calendars the ABCs. And and what I mean by that is that there is a lot that we learn about who we are, about what we value, about what we actually believe when we look at how we use and spend and our understanding of our relationship to money. When we understand how we view and treat and use our bodies as well as other bodies and how we spend our time, what we fill our calendar with, we learn a great deal about ourselves and the foundation upon our lives that we've built our lives upon is unearthed when we look at it through the lens of our accounts, our bodies, and our calendars. So what do your spending habits tell you about your foundation? How does the way you treat your body and view your body or treat and view other bodies tell you about what is actually true and important to you? And how does your spending of your time reveal the truth of your foundation? I can tell myself all day long that Jesus is my foundation, that that radical generosity is my foundation, that love of neighbor or whatever is my foundation, but how I live my life and what is revealed through these ABCs actually tells me what the A to Z of my life actually is. Are we aware of the foundation upon which we have built our lives? Because here's the thing, in all of our working, in all of our scrolling, in all of our exercising and vacationing and playing, in all of it, we are longing, behind it is a longing to find something to build our lives upon that's worthy, that will last, that will endure. But my concern is that we are all so frantically moving at a pace that is unsustainable that we don't slow down to ask that question enough. Do we know what our lives are built upon? But that brings me to the second question that I think Jesus is also getting us to ask of ourselves. First, we have to see that we all have a foundation upon which we built our lives, but the second question is, have we dug down deep enough? Have we dug down deep enough? So yes, we must first recognize that we all have a foundation, regardless of your religious convictions or understanding of who God is, we all have a foundation. But Jesus is also declaring to us that he must be that foundation. If we want to build our lives upon something that will last, that will endure and sustain us through the challenges of life, it must be Jesus. But, but that just sounds like a lot of like, nice religious talk. What does that even mean? What does it mean to build our lives upon Jesus? And how do we go about building our lives upon him? Well, the first thing to see if we are to build our lives upon Jesus is that we must recognize, and this is what Jesus is saying, there is no disconnect 
between receiving Jesus as Lord and obeying him. There is no disconnect between these two. Jesus sees no separation between calling him Lord and doing what he says. Look with me again at verses 46 and 47. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Now, notice the progression of this person that Jesus is describing. It's a person who who comes to Jesus, who hears Jesus, and then does what Jesus says. And, and this, isn't like, this isn't like three options to choose from. This is, this is a package deal. To hear the words of Jesus is to obey the words of Jesus. Because, and we lose this a little bit in kind of our Western cultural context because for Jesus, growing up as, as a Jewish person, the word hear, H-E-A-R, uh, the, which is in Hebrew, it's the word shema, and it's just often translated hear or listen. That word, to hear the instruction of a teacher or of a rabbi, meant that you didn't just hear those words, but you adhered to those words, that you obeyed them, that you put them to practice. In other words, in Jesus' mind, hearing is obeying. It is not just considering, oh, that's a very interesting point, Jesus, I'm going to reflect on this and consider what I should apply to my life. Thank you very much. That's not what Jesus is saying. For Jesus, hearing is obeying. Digging down deep to get to the bedrock is important in building the foundation of our homes. And if we want to have a life that is built upon Jesus, then part of what that means as followers of Jesus, collectively and individually, means that we must do the hard digging down of obeying Jesus, of hearing his words and putting them into practice, not because we have to, not because it's out of obligation, but because we reflect that which we love. If we call Jesus Lord out of joy of what he has done for us, then our obedience is not drudgery, it is delight. To call Jesus Lord and not take his commands seriously is to build a shallow foundation, which is exactly where Jesus goes as he kind of paints this picture in our mind's eye in verse 49. The one who hears and does not do these words, them, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So here's what I want us to kind of really reflect on. If you want to know, if I want to know, if I have come to actually receive Jesus as Lord, if he is actually the foundation of my life, then we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we feel like we reserve the right to say no to Jesus? Plain and simple, but very profound. Do you and I feel like we can say no to Jesus? That reveals the heart of how we understand him as our foundation and him as our Lord. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine, you, you, like basically, you have to make a decision. You have two pieces of paper in your hand. Jesus is Lord, and you also have the ability to say no to him. These two cannot be held simultaneously. You have to choose which one you're going to crumple up in your hands. If Jesus is Lord, what this means is that I am saying, I am, I am saying no to my ability to say no to Jesus. But if, but if Jesus is not Lord, if I want to reserve the right to live my life how I want, take from Jesus what I like and maybe push away or reject the things I don't like, then we basically say, no, you are not Lord because I want to reserve the right to live my life how I see fit. If Jesus is the foundation upon our lives, that we have built our lives upon rather, 
then it means that we say no to our ability to say no to Jesus. Plain and simple. Over the past couple years, I've been uh, greatly blessed and challenged by uh, the preaching and teaching of a pastor in Chicago. His name's Charlie Dates. Uh, Phenomenal preacher. I encourage you to check him out and listen to him. Uh, But he was preaching on this very subject of what it means to surrender to Jesus as Lord. And he says this. I just love this line. It's really helpful. He says, the same Jesus that is willingly your Savior correspondingly demands to be your Lord. The same Jesus that is resident in your life must also be president of your life. I love that, it's just that that's gonna stick. But this is exactly what Jesus is saying. But it's also exactly what flies in the face of our cultural narratives of you do you. Follow your heart, you decide what is right. In a culture where the only sin is to not follow your heart, is to not be true to yourself, Jesus' words do not jive in our culture. We think that the path to the good life is to be freed of all encumbrances and authorities that tell us how we should live our lives, but the great irony is that freedom is found in surrendering to the right authority. We are all going to live for something. We are all going to be bound by something. But not only is this, this lie, this, this idea that if we're just free of all encumbrances, all authorities, all restrictions, then we can finally live our life how we want. Not only is that a lie from hell, but I believe it is an undermining mindset that actually keeps us from the life that we want to live. In fact, the, the, the fourth and fifth century um, theologian, uh, the African theologian, uh, Augustine of Hippo, he wrote extensively on this. I mean, the, the, the understanding of authority and the will of God and the will of man, he wrote extensively on this. And on a, in a recent book entitled On the Road with St. Augustine, uh, the author kind of shares Augustine's wisdom with us. He says this, Augustine deconstructs our false dichotomies of freedom and constraint. We tend to think of those things as opposites. Like, well, if, if, you're, if you're not free to kind of live your life how you want, then you're constrained and limited. But he says this, he, he, Augustine deconstructs our false dichotomies of freedom and constraint because he has a radically different conception of freedom that we have forgotten in modernity. Freedom not as permission, that's how we tend to define freedom. Freedom is per- permission, but, uh, but as power, not as freedom, Sorry, freedom not as permission, but as power. Such freedom doesn't expand with the abolishing of boundaries or the evisceration of constraints. Like the rails of a roller coaster that, you let, that let you do loop after loop, it's the grace that guards your being. In other words, we tend to think that freedom is found in the casting off of limitations, the casting off of authorities so that we can live our life how we want. But ironically, Freedom and the good life is found in surrendering to the right limitations that lead us to the good life. To dig down deep and to build our lives upon Jesus is not about adding Jesus to our lives, peppering the entree of our lives with Jesus, but it is building the entirety of our lives upon him. Let me, let me illustrate it one more way. We tend to think that our lives and what it means to build our lives upon Jesus is about adding Jesus to all the things in our life. So, you know, we've got, I've got my, my family here, so I'm building my life. I've got my family. It's important to me. Uh, I've got, you know, my, my home and all the things I'm involved in, my hobbies. I love the Frisbee, you know. Uh, I think about my, my work, you know. I've got to add this to my life. Uh, my finances, I have that. Uh, all, the, all the distractions and connections to my friends. And then it's like, how do I add Jesus into my life? Okay, so let's, let's make some room here. How do, I, how do we fit him into my life so that he doesn't kind of crowd things out? And this metaphor is, is totally antithetical to what Jesus is saying. 
He is not saying, how, how do you add me to your life? He's saying, no, I must be the very thing your life is built upon. Jesus is not one more thing we add to our lives. He is the foundation upon which everything else resides. Again, by fitting Jesus into our lives, we actually keep him out of our lives. And so the metaphor we must see is that Jesus is the podium itself upon which everything else in our lives is contingent upon. He is not one more thing that we fit in. He is the very foundation. Now, if we are to understand this metaphor in its fullness, we have to say, okay, so then what, what does this now look like? I, I see this picture, I understand it, so what, what, how, do we, how do we put this into practice? How do we actually build our lives upon Jesus? And I'm going to underwhelm you with this very reductionistic piece of application, and it's this. Pray and obey the words of Jesus in your life. Pray and obey the words of Jesus in your life. Again, I know that sounds so simplistic, but, but just, just think about it. I was just honest with myself as I was thinking about this. I can't think of the last time that I read the Bible and prayed that God would equip me to do what it said. Now, maybe you're a much better follower of Jesus than I am, but my guess is that you probably identify with that to some degree. When was the last time we read God's word and asked him that through the power of the Spirit to equip us to do what it says, not out of duty and obligation, but out of delight and adoration. When was the last time we did that? Because here's the thing, I come to the scripture so often in pursuit of, of information, of inspiration, of consolation and affirmation. And those are all good things, I'm not bashing those, but if we fail to come to the scriptures to hear from God for the purpose of transformation, we're missing out on what it means to surrender to Jesus and build our lives upon him. And so as we come to the scriptures, we should ask the Lord to reveal to us truth about what it means to live in accordance with his design. Yes, come to the scriptures for information, come for affirmation, come for consolation, but also come to be transformed through what Jesus' living words are saying to us. So we should not fool ourselves. If we claim that Jesus is Lord of our lives, it means that we will obey him. Again, not out of a sense of obligation, but out of, out of a gratitude for what he has done for us, out of a, a desire to reflect the one who has rescued us, because again, we become what we love. But more than that, Jesus calls us to make him our foundation so that we might be able to endure the sorrows of life that will indeed come. So as we reflect upon the foundation that we have built our lives upon, whatever it may be, we should ask ourselves this last question, will our foundation endure the storm? Will our foundation endure the storm? We may hear Jesus' words as he's wrapping up his sermon. We may see them as just nothing more than just religious rhetoric used to kind of manipulate and fabricate a sense of guilt-driven obedience. We, we may just add Jesus to the list of, of countless cult leaders that maintain power and control uh, through blind obedience to their teaching. But that would be a tragic misreading of the Gospels and of Jesus himself. Because you see, Jesus has come and giving us instruction not to kind of create a sense of, of blind obedience among his followers, but to invite them in to the life that we long for, for them to find freedom and forgiveness, to find wholeness that is deeply embedded within our heart's desires. Jesus has come to be the foundation of our lives so that we might be able to endure the tragedies and hardships of life. 
Jesus has come to be the foundation of our lives so that we might be rescued and spared from the futility of trying to be our own God and to build our lives upon our accomplishments and our efforts. Jesus has come to be the foundation of our lives so that we would be able to be spared from the judgment of condemnation of our sin that we rightly deserve because of a rebellion against God. And Jesus has come to be our foundation so that we might not just survive, but thrive amidst the storms of life that indeed come. Because if you notice the operative word that Jesus declares in these parables, it's not if we face storms of life, it's when. Look again at verses 48 and 49. When a flood arose, the stream broke. And then verse 49, when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. In both cases, the storms come. Jesus never promises to keep the storms away, but he does promise definitively that the storms will never wash us away. He never promises us an easy life, free of challenge, free of difficulty, free of pain, free of hardship, but what he does promise is that if we have built our lives upon him, if we have dug down deep to see that to call him Lord means to surrender our right to say no to him, then yes, the storms will come, but they will not wash us away because we will find our lives built upon a foundation that has been able to endure all the storms of life. You see, when we understand what Jesus has come to do in our lives, it changes the way we understand our relationship to him. He is not just one voice among many. He is the very foundation that our lives are built upon. But what this means, if we want to find a foundation that allows us and enables us to endure the storms of life, it means that we give Jesus free reign of every nook and cranny of our home. That there is no closet, there is no room, there is no floor joist or appliance or anything within the homes of our lives that is off limits to Jesus. Everything about us, as we think about our finances, our sexuality, our political leanings, our relationships to family members and neighbors, our work and education, everything is submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus if we are to build our lives upon him. C.S. Lewis has this phenomenal metaphor in talking about what it means for us to build our lives upon Jesus as, as a home. And he says this, I love this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand that he, uh, what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, he's stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. The explanation is that he is building a quite different house from the one you thought of. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. Jesus has come not to be the great interior decorator of your home, to make it look a little nicer, to smell a little bit more pleasant and to be more inviting. He's not coming to add an addition or put in some sunlights. He has come to totally renovate it as the contractor, the general contractor of your home to make an entirely new home. If we fail to see the vastness of what Jesus is doing in our lives, we will fail to receive him as Lord and we will find ourselves building our lives upon a shallow foundation that will not last. And so friends, if you find yourself feeling like, I just feel like life is just falling apart, I have no foundation, everything that comes my way I just cannot handle, is it possible that you have come to see Jesus as Lord while still maintaining your freedom and right to say no to him? If so, have we come to truly believe that Jesus is Lord? Again, fitting Jesus into our lives is what keeps Jesus out of our lives. 
All of us live our lives upon some foundation. And we have to ask ourselves if it's strong enough to endure the storms of life. Have we dug down deep enough to reach the bedrock of Jesus as Lord? If so, you will find that foundation to be the foundation that enables us to weather through all storms of life. Because Jesus has endured and weathered through the worst of the worst. When Jesus is our foundation, the one who is able to be victorious over sin and death on the cross and his victory and triumph over death itself in the resurrection, when that is the foundation of our lives, then we know the storms not necessarily will be kept away from us, but they will keep us from being washed away. So friends, if you want to build your life upon something that lasts, something that endures, it has to be Jesus. The fastest way to keep Jesus out of your life is just to try to fit him into your life. But may he be the foundation of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask in this time that your spirit would awaken us and open our eyes to see the various ways in which we have built our lives upon anything other than you. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us to see the futility and the cracks in the foundation upon the things that we have made our lives built, uh, built upon. Lord, may you show us how we have sought to be our own gods, to be our own foundation. And Lord, would you reveal yourself to be the solid foundation upon which we long to live. Lord Jesus, may you be Lord of our lives. May we surrender our freedom to say no to you. May we be willing and able to hear your words, to respond to them and obey, not out of a sense of obligation, but out of delight for who you are and what you have done for us. And so, Lord, those who are far from you now, would you draw them near, and may we individually and collectively be a people who build our lives upon your love, upon your truth, upon your words. Lord Jesus, may this be so of us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.